Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Thinking Project Podcast, where we interview founders and creatives to help you take the next step in your business by listening to inspired stories of these wonderful founders. I hope you enjoy this podcast and make sure to share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, Adam, we're rolling. Thanks so much for being here, man. It's a long time in the works. We both missed a couple of times, but we're here. It's all good now. Uh, Dolan, I appreciate you having me on, man. I feel like uh, they always say patience is a virtue, and I feel like <laughs> we've both been patient trying to make this thing work, and uh, I'm more excited than ever. So thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm grateful. So I know what you do. I know you have a few things going on, but I would love to hear in your words uh, wh what you have going on and everything that you're involved in now. Yeah, my main focus right now is building my online business, which is all around setting up sales appointments for primarily for startups. But now we're starting to work with some bigger companies where basically we take care of all the headaches from writing emails, following up on emails, managing an email inbox. And all the clients have to do is worry about getting on the sales call. So that's my main focus. And uh, I think the first time we spoke, I was over out in Hawaii for a few months. Now I'm in Austin, Texas. And I'll be leaving here, uh, unfortunately, about 10 days to go on to the next spot. So I'm just traveling the world and focused on building this business. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, kind of like a, then kind of like a lead gen business, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a, I mean, that's pretty lucrative now because now startups can essentially with companies like yours, they can outsource like a whole SDR department, right? And, uh, and have some guaranteed leads and not have to really worry about, and then not have to pay five or 10 SDRs, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it, if you do it right, if you work with the right companies, but man, a lot of these bigger companies I'm starting to speak to now, the nightmares they have had working with uh, lead gen companies, the amount of money that they've wasted, the amount of over-promising and under-delivering, uh, it, it sucks in terms of leads a bad, leaves a bad taste in their mouth, but it really helps us because we like to put, like you said, the, the G word, guarantees. We love to put guarantees in place because so many others in the space, it's like they just spew a bunch of shit and then it doesn't act, they don't actually live up to it. Yeah. So that that's interesting then. I, I love to talk about that because one of the one of the like core tenets of business is your offer, right? Um, and something that I've had to learn because like I'm like a natural, not a natural. So I am like a sales guy at heart. And mm -hmm. so like all of the selling techniques, but I wasn't introduced to like digital selling or like digital copywriting until much later. And I kind of regret that. Like I should have looked at that a little more, but like your offer, right? So how was it for you building the offer for your company and, and coming up with that guarantee and then like marketing that offer, like, how did you come up with that? You know, it was all happenstance. I mean, all the stuff we kind of stumbled into, I never thought we'd have a lead gen business. When I say we, I mean, my business partner and I, it all came about just because uh, we had a tech startup for about five years in the college recruiting space. We sold into big companies like Bank of America, Amazon, AT&T, our biggest problem as a startup. And although we were acquired, it wasn't for the amount we wanted it to be for because we never never got the true product market fit. We'd have a sticky enough product. But what we were always good at was setting up sales appointments and then selling. Uh, and we did it all through cold email outreach. So it was about now about 15 months ago, I was talking to one of the startups that I've been advising and their CEO basically just said to me, hey, Adam, can you talk to our head of sales? She's struggling to get meetings on the books. I talked to her. I found out what the issue was. I went back to PETA. I said, hey, man, if you want. I could do this for you. He said, sure. I called him my business partner and then we built it out for him. And then we had another company, another company, another company. And, uh, but it was all through happenstance. And it was more of just me talking to people in the space uh, that actually have these companies. And they would tell me what they're doing, talking to potential customers who would share their negative experiences. And then me just thinking as a startup and as an entrepreneur, what would I pay for something like this? And what would I not want to pay for it too? So uh, yeah, we, we never saw that to be a lead gen company. It just all happened. Yeah, that's cool. So introduced to a head of sales. That's so, that's so crazy. Cause like when I think of, so like, I love like interacting with salespeople and I love sales. Like I've, I've had the pleasure of working with a couple of sales teams and help building them and growing them. Um, but I've always been a little self-conscious cause I've never held that title of like VP of sales or like director of sales or anything like that. Um, and so I've always been a little nervous to kind of like talk to those kinds of people, but it's funny that you mentioned that story because it happens quite frequently where like VPs, directors, they're like, we don't know what's going on. And we're like, oh, well, you, you know, if you did this, this and this, you could totally help that. Right. How is it for you talking to head of sales? Like, I'm sure it's comfortable now, but how is it 
Um, and I don't know your like background as far as position tell, but I'm sure you get into conversations where you're talking to somebody who's might be in a little higher position than you have ever been in or something like that. And I'm wondering how you navigate those conversations. Yeah, personally, I, I love that. I mean, even with my tech startup, you know, I was technically the COO, the chief operating officer, but being a kid, you know, I started the company, I was 22, 23, 24. So I was very used to being in rooms, frankly, that I shouldn't have been in, you know, talking to investors that I, I shouldn't probably be in the room talking to. And, and so I was always very comfortable in that setting. And like, for me, the biggest learning and the reason why I don't ever, or very, very rarely do I ever get intimidated is because I just try to be myself. And I know what, what is solid footing to stand on. I try not to talk at a turn and say things that I, I can't say with certainty. Um, so no matter who I'm talking to, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I'm going to be myself and I'm only going to say things that I know are on solid footing. And I'm not going to speak at a turn. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, you mentioned a few really core sales principles that I love in there and that, you know, like being yourself because, and, and here's the crazy thing. People don't understand, like they, they get to the surface level of being yourself, but it really comes down to like, that's your differentiator. And if people don't like you when you're being yourself, like, are they really a company you want to work with? Well said, uh, you know, I tell people one of the core things that we focus on now is we don't want to have a thousand customers. Like our business is not built right now. At least that we don't want to have a thousand customers. And frankly, we don't need to the way our business model is, is structured. And with my tech startup, frankly, there were some customers we would work with that I didn't want to work with. And what do I mean by that? Like on a Monday morning, I get on a phone call. I say, hey, how are you doing? And they'd say, what do you mean? How am I doing? It's Monday. It sucks. I don't want to be here. That's not the type of energy that I want to be around. So right. like for me, to your point, like if I'm myself and, and they're not vibing with that or I'm not vibing with them, then we're probably not the right fit to work together anyway. So that, that's always like the, the big, the, really the third piece I look at when I'm thinking about working with a company is, do I even like you? Do I want to work with you? <laughs> right. Do I want to get like on a monthly meeting? Do I want to add value <laughs> to you? Because if I don't, like, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not worth my time or energy. Right. And, and uh, when, when I talk to some small business owners who are just getting started, they're like, ah, I just want to go after everybody. And I was guilty of that at first, but it's a really hard lesson to learn, but it's a valuable lesson to learn that like, yeah, uh, identify your ideal customer and then stick to that. Like, because you don't want to work with, there's some people it's not worth it. And that's the great thing about like competition is like, you don't have to work with me and I don't have to work with you. So like <laughs> we can make this work or we don't have to, you know what I mean? It's a great feeling though. It's a great feeling though. Cause it puts you in like this position where we're not fighting and we're not feeling desperate for things. 100%. And like, you, you want to enjoy working with the people that you're working with. Like it's, these are the people you're spending the majority of your time with. You know, if you have a couple of client calls in a day and you don't like those client calls, that just is an energy drain where today we had a, we had a client call. It's like a great group of people. Yesterday, the clients that one of our clients was like, this is our favorite call of the month, our monthly meeting with them. Like, it's just fun. Like they're good people. We have a good conversation and it's all about moving their business forward. So like those are the types of people that I want to work with. Um, and there's plenty of those out there. It's just, how do you find them and how are you able to navigate through it? Yeah. So let's talk about that. How do you find your ideal customers once you get that? Because that's kind of the key. And like in my, in my sales mastermind that I have, um, it's called that, like, how do you connect with your dream clients? So I'd love your insight on how do you find them and maybe your process of like making sure they're a good fit for you. Yeah. So one is, you know, we, a lot of our first clients were all came through referrals and people we knew or knew of personally. Yeah. So that was, that was how that started. But in terms of like new business, we eat our own dog food. So now all this new sales means we get on, it's all through my, you know, we write the emails, we send the emails and my team just books it on my calendar. And you have no idea who you're going to talk to, but I'm very, because I try to be very much myself on all these meetings, I think hopefully it makes them feel more comfortable to be themselves. And I think for us, <clears throat> we don't trust our gut and our intuition as much as we should. Like we usually know in the first few minutes of talking to someone, if we're going to vibe, we're not going to vibe, you know, whether yeah. it's in a business relationship, a romantic relationship, anything like you kind of know right away if there's a connection or not. Um, so I, I just, I, I feel like that's pretty, uh, pretty evident usually from the start. Okay. Aside, like, aside yeah. from the metrics of like, you know, for us, we don't work with B2C. We don't work with companies that have a small universe. Like that's more tangible things to look at, but in yeah. terms of like the rapport, it's just, are you feeling it or are you not feeling it? Right, 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 right. Um, I like that because you do have to trust your gut. <laughs> and it's, uh, and I learned something there because it's something that I probably do intuitively, 
But at the same time, if you can't put a framework around it, um, you can't re replicate it. And that's mm -hmm. the key to like scaling and, and being successful is being able to replicate something. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I like that. And how long, so how long have you been doing the lead uh, gen business now? So now our, our longest tenure client is on month 13 or just finishing up month 13. So going into month oh, 14. Cool. Uh, but yeah, for the first like six or nine months, we really, even more than that, almost for the first year, frankly, we were like just focused on our initial customers and just making sure that they were happy and they were renewing before we even started to put like a little bit of gasoline on the fire. Like we, again, we were so we did such a bad job during my tech startup of having product market fit and having a sticky product where we're like this product, we want to drag us. We want it to tell us that you have product market fit by people, not only renewing, but giving you more money. And now that we're at that piece, now we get to do what we love, which is let's get more of those types of customers that we want to work with. Yeah. Slow down to speed up kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> go. Yeah. The slower you go, the faster you get there because the more you can concentrate on everything. Right. Um, so I'm curious you know, you brought up your, your uh, tech startup when you were in college a few times. So I'm curious uh, if you can kind of go into more detail about that. Like um, what, like, have you always thought you were going to be like a startup entrepreneur? Is this something that you planned on or was it something that you stumbled upon? Kind of take us through that, that entering your first, was that your first one too, by the way? So yeah, yeah, yeah. take us through that story of entering into your first one and, and how that went. Yeah. So for me, I was a sport management major in college. I did internships with the Phillies and a minor league baseball team. And it was during that minor league internship. I remember I was working like a dog some of these days, like 12, 14 hour days on game days, and they didn't pay me a dollar. And I would drive there and back 45 minutes to the ballpark. And I remember one day I grabbed a hot dog. Yeah. I grabbed the hot dog. I came back to the, to like our ticket office or wherever I was working. And my advisor was like, did you pay for that hot dog? And I'm like, you're asking to pay for this dollar twenty-five hot dog after I've been working free for you for how long? Like, yeah. sure, I'll give you the dollar twenty-five, but it's just the principle of the whole thing. So, yeah, exactly. That's kind of when I knew, like, that ain't an industry I want to be in, at least uh, not right now. And I stumbled upon an entrepreneurship class my junior year of college, and led into me uh, meeting my advisor who started a, a entrepreneur accelerator program at my college uh, during my senior year. She wanted me to run the program. I did it my senior year. It went well. They asked me to continue doing it as I get a one-year MBA through the school. So I worked for the school and got my MBA. And then it was three weeks before uh, I graduated my MBA that I started my tech company. This was back in 2014. And, uh, and then again, as I said, I, I sold it back in 2019. Yeah. How um, I'm in the middle of my MBA program. This is a hot topic. How do you feel like, how do you feel about MBAs and uh, like college and things like that? What's up, everybody? I want to introduce you to a new piece of software that is launching soon. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Capshow. Capshow is the first AI-powered podcast copywriter for expert podcasters. This software turns your audio file into a headline, into show notes, into uh captions, social media captions, promotional email. It even provides you a transcript to put in the show notes or your website for more SEO. Their beta is launching on June 1st, and I want you to join me for the beta version. The link to join if you're an expert podcaster is in the description below. So make sure that you go check that out. This will be the best decision you've ever made if you're an expert podcaster. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, guys, I want to talk to you about another sponsor of the podcast. Norm Wilkinson, the happy health insurance guy. If you're like me, if you're a 1099 employee, an entrepreneur, it can be really, really difficult to find health insurance. And on top of all of that, who wants to spend their time looking for it? We don't know what it means. We don't know what coverage we need, or we do know what coverage we need, and we don't want to go looking and searching for it. Norm Wilkinson solves all of those problems. He's the happy health insurance guy. He'll get you a free consultation and a quote to get the right plan for your situation to protect you, your family, and ultimately, your business. Go check out his website, thehappyhealthinsuranceguy.com. Links in the description below. And thank you so much for listening. It'll be the best decision you ever made. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by none other than empatheticselling.com. Empatheticselling.com is for founders and salespeople and business owners who want to generate more leads, win more customers, and go further in their business. Empathetic Selling gives you access to all of my videos and training courses on selling and lead generation. It gives you special access to our Discord community and weekly live events held by me with our community 
so that we can answer your questions in real time and get you rolling in the right direction with your business. So for only $47 a month, you can start leveling up. Go to empatheticselling.com, links in the description below and in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, please join. It'll be the best decision you ever made. Thank you so much. Not for everybody. I didn't want to get my MBA. I only did it because my parents like Adam. You would just be crazy if you don't do it. You get to keep running this program. You get to keep building it. They're going to pay for your school and you get, you know, to make some money working for the school. It was, it was just a no brainer. So yeah, if I, okay. if I, if, if I didn't get that opportunity, would I've got my MBA? Probably not, at least not at the time. Um, I think you, like, you know, you, you're building out your podcast. You, you have all these other things going on. Like think about how much you learn from having your podcast and you can learn that stuff in school. And there's certain times you need to get an MBA or secondary or third degree. But I think, for entrepreneurs, I don't necessarily think it's necessary to get an MBA. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I would agree with you on that. And I like that you just said, like, it's not for everybody, because that's kind of how I stumbled into it. I really didn't think for a long time I was ever going to do it because I didn't need to. And then a good deal came across the table and I was like, why not? Um, so that's really cool, though. But now, yeah, so you went into so you went to college originally for sports management. Mm -hmm. So that's what you thought you were going to do. Is that right? Yeah, I want to be a GM of a sports team. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> you just yeah, going to yeah. rise through the ranks on that. You start as like the, the assistant and then you just work your way up or. Yeah, exactly. You rise through the ranks and I'm not someone who's scared of hard work, but the more I dug into it, I was like, I'm not in love with this enough to go through what's needed to go through in order to get there. Like with my tech startup, I was, would literally eat cereal and peanut butter for dinner a lot of nights. Like I was willing to eat that dirt. I was willing to, you know, work mm. countless hours in the office. Like I was willing to eat that dirt because I saw that bigger potential of what could be on the other end of this. But when I was in the sports world, it just never felt right. It didn't feel like it was in line with really with my, what my DNA was. That's awesome. I love that you said that because it's one of my favorite quotes that I get a little heat on every once in a while, but I heard it in a hip hop song. And uh, the, the guy said, uh, Don Michael Jr. said, uh, he, he said, don't, oh, don't be afraid to change the goal if you're not willing to eat the price. Mm. You know what I mean? I and that. I'm like, I love that. That's perfect. That. Because it's that. like, it's like that, right? You're like, you where somebody might have said, like, you know, you starting your GM you know, journey, somebody on the outside might've said like, Oh, well, you, you gave up, you failed. And you're like, no, I was just, I was just figuring out what goals I was willing to suffer for. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to do that. Like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's great. That's fine. You know what I mean? We get caught up in this hustle culture. That's like, you got to stick to one thing. And then like, and I'm like, that's crazy, man. Just figure out what you want to do. So happy you said that. Cause I think it's, uh, it's so true because we all, no matter what, if you want to accomplish anything special, you're going to have to eat dirt at some point or the other. Like there's right. no avoiding the eating of dirt. We're all going to have to eat dirt, but what are you willing to eat dirt for? Uh, so I, I love that. That's a, that's I, what song is that from? Do you know? Yeah. Oh, oh goodness. I think it's from his song. Uh, I'm going to look it up because he, and he's like kind of, kind of coming up. Um, but like uh, it was uh, just one of his new ones. And I think it was new. It was either new, uh, new energy or funeral black by Don Michael mm -hmm. Jr. And, uh, he's a great, he's a great, he's from New Jersey. He, I saw him on a, Hey, crazy story. Saw him on a really funny TikTok. He was making funny, like reels and TikToks. And I was like, this is funny and his music's dope. So let's go check him out. <laughs> I love you. You got to You got to get him on the podcast. <laughs> I, I have tried. <laughs> I'm, tr I'm still trying though. I'm not giving up because it's cool, but I like that though, because that's why I like hip hop so much. That's why I have a lot of hip hop artists on my podcast is mm -hmm. because the way they, the way they um, describe the journey of like coming up out of the mud and stuff like that. Right. The way that they can express that is I think is one of the best ways and it's really beautiful how they do it. So I love, plus it's fun to listen to. So I love it. <laughs> I'm with it. But uh, yeah, but I, anyway, it's great. So, <clears throat> so you thought you were going to, I mean, what, what, uh, so you kind of stumbled into entrepreneurship. You started wanting to go be a GM at, at uh, for, for a sports team. Um, when did you know that this was what you wanted to do? In terms of being an entrepreneur is when I, when I took that entrepreneurship class my junior year, I knew that mm -hmm. it was, 
interesting to me because I always had big dreams, big goals as a, always growing up, even though I didn't do well in school. I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't like, I didn't go to the best university, any of that stuff. Like I, I always had big dreams for myself, but I never knew exactly how to accomplish it or what exactly that was going to be. Mm-hmm. But the world of entrepreneurship, what always excited me was the freedom aspect where like, I, I'm a big believer in the American dream and that you can accomplish anything you set out to be. It doesn't mean that it's going to be given to you or guaranteed at all. But if you work your ass off and you treat people right and you do the right thing, I think anything is possible for anybody. Uh, you know, of course, within reason, like if you're five foot three, you're probably not going to be making the NBA, you know? So of course, <laughs> within reason, but uh, yeah. yeah, entrepreneurship showed me that you, that path of freedom, that path of anything that you want to accomplish is possible. And there really is no limit as well as, as long as you're willing to learn, uh, put it in the work and, and do it, do it the right way. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I like that you said within reason too, because I totally agree. I think that you should play to your strengths, right? You mm-hmm. shouldn't try to, yeah. Cause people get lost and, and they fall off of this entrepreneurial journey because they, they try to make themselves into something they're not, you know what I mean? They, they, try to play to their their weaknesses and and uh i've never been a fan of that phrase like turn strengths into or turn weaknesses into strengths because it's like uh why would i do that when i can double down on my strengths and be good at something (laughs) well you know in in this case in this case there's a lot more philosophy behind that but you i think you hear what i'm saying no, for sure. That's I, I teach an entrepreneurship class to a lot of small business owners uh, virtually. And that's one of the big things I was focused on is like, what makes you great? What brings you great energy? What are you the best at? I want you to spend the majority of the time on that. And I want you to figure out, can you automate or delegate or cut things that you shouldn't be doing? You shouldn't be spending your time. And like, why are you doing spreadsheets? Why are you the one doing your website? Like, why are you doing this outreach? Why are you doing all these things that you know you're not good at and you don't like doing? Where I'd rather you just find solutions to those problems that you can spend your time like baking cakes or doing accounting or whatever the hell it is that you love doing and that you're great at. Yeah, that's great. That's a great point too, because then you can work kind of on your business and not in your business kind of thing. That's really nice. Um, so <clears throat> now at this point in your career, what are some of the biggest uh, lessons that you've learned as an entrepreneur? And um, what what are you hoping to like carry forward in, with those lessons? For, for, uh, for my tech startup, the biggest learning was around what we didn't do a great job of, which was product market fit. If you don't get to product market fit as any company, any startup, any small business, you're always going to feel like you're clogging holes in a leaky bucket. And that is just not the, the place that anybody wants to be in. You got to get to product market fit. And that's why we've been so intentional with this company of being slow, you know, starting the slow process that we can run faster in the future and focused yeah. on product, you know, getting to product market fit, which I simply I uh, define as, can you get repeat customers and do those repeat customers want to pay you more and more over time because you're providing more and more value. So that's number one is how do you get to product market fit? Because once you get there, running your business is going to be a lot of fun. If you don't get there, you're going to be banging your head against the wall. And it's going to be miserable. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, so I, I would like to dive a little more into product market fit. So you're saying that because um, there might be some people listening who don't who don't know what that is. But you're saying that your definition of product market fit or the, or the definition of product market fit is uh, re- like repeatability, like scalability. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, with can you get one customer? And when that one, when you get that one customer, though, that's great. You know, any of us can sell someone to buy from us once, but will that customer want to buy from us again? Will they want to buy from us again? Will they want to give us more money over time because we're providing more value? And doesn't matter what business you're in. If you sell water bottles, do they buy another water bottle from you? Or are they buying another product from you? Or are they referring you to their friend? If you're an accounting firm, are they buying from you? Are they coming back each year to do for you to do their books? If you're a tech startup, you know, SaaS is easy, you know, monthly recurring revenue. Are they buying for one month and then leaving you the next month? Or are they buying again and again oh, yeah. and again and giving you more money? So that that's the big thing is do they buy from you? Are they can you get a repeat customer? And then do those repeat customers buy from you more and more? Like I just had, before I got in there, I I got a message from one of our current customers that said, hey, if we want to two or three X with you, you know, and two two or three X our investment with you, would you guys be able to do that for us? Like, I love Uh that. That's my favorite because it's, yeah, yeah, you can get another customer to pay that same amount of money, but I would much rather our current customers pay us more money because that means they're seeing a shit ton of value and they want to give us more (laughs) money because they're seeing the value from it. Yeah, I like that. But that's a great point because, uh, because yes, as a salesperson, I do know. Like I, 
the same is true when I hire help companies hire salespeople or when I used to hire salespeople. Like, look, I don't, I, anybody can sell to their friends or family. Anybody can sell to the guy walking up who's got a blank checkbook out and ready to go, you know, but can you consistently sell and can you consistently have like sell and have good like customer satisfaction? Like, can you do it at scale and have people still like you? Cause I've seen that too, where people can sell a ton, but they're like, their customer reviews are the worst <laughs> and they don't get any referrals. Like that's a bad salesperson. Like, yeah, you got a hundred deals. Yeah. But like every one of them's pissed at me. I have brain damage for two months <laughs> and they're not coming back. I don't want, I don't care about, you know what I mean? I lost a hundred customers. I didn't gain a hundred customers. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, it, it's just not like you, you want to hit your, think of it. Yeah. You, you want to hit your pillow and be able to go to bed and like feeling good when you know you're selling a product or a service that people are not going to like, they're not going to see value from. It's just, it's not just not enjoyable as a business owner. Like it's just a heavy way to live in a, in a not good way. Like no one should want it. That's why <laughs> if you do get a good product, it's like, I know when people come in and they work with us, they're going to be happy and they're going to love the value we provide. It's just such a more pleasant way to live. Yeah. I, I love that. So um, what are some of the things that you do outside of like the, the daily stuff? Like what are some of your passions maybe outside of work that you, that you like to do maybe a mission that you're trying to accomplish outside or. Yeah, I, I love, like I, I always say, and I say this in the class that I teach, I, I think small businesses and entrepreneurs, they're the heartbeat of America. I think they, they're they the people that make America, you know, a really special place. And the reason why is because anyone here who's an entrepreneur that's listening, like you could probably make a lot more money somewhere else and you could probably have a lot easier of a life somewhere else, but you've chosen to take this more difficult path to try to accomplish something bigger. So for me, I love, love, love supporting entrepreneurs, small business owners, startups. So I do a lot of coaching and advising and working with them. Um, so that's always something that, that, that means a lot to me. I love initiatives on the side because I travel so much. It makes it really difficult to be in one location. I can't do it quite as much, but I, I, I love, um, helping people that uh, like one of my big initiatives I love that I, I I ran the Boston Marathon back in 20 early 2019 and I, I was able to do it for the the Ronald McDonald house in uh, oh, in Boston cool. Harbor and it's like these are kids that have no reason to be positive and optimistic you know they're going through such challenging times in their life and you know they have they have all these health challenges and they should be in school playing with their friends and all this stuff. Yet they're over there smiling, having a good time, optimistic and positive as, you know, even sometimes as myself, I'm bitching and complaining about the smallest things. And I see this little six-year-old with like a feeding tube in her and she's smiling, giggling, loving life. So I, I love being able to spend time and, and help, uh, you know, help kids like that, that have uh, challenges that they shouldn't be having to deal with. So I, I wish I could spend more time on that right now. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to think about it. We have a Ronald McDonald house here in Salt Lake City. And uh, I've I've been lucky enough to do that a few times with them because it is, it makes you just think, makes you just rethink all of your priorities because uh, because you just see how fleeting life is. You know what I mean? And how like you can find joy and happiness even in what may feel like the darkest of times in your life, you know? And and so that's a great, and then, and then when you actually help the Ronald McDonald house, you're helping these kids, you know, find that joy and, and help and help the parents and their families. Cause right. Like the Ronald McDonald house also provides housing for those, for the families while their kids or whoever's in cancer treatments. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I become right. friends with some of the parents. Like, you know, I, I love following along with the parents and their kids and, uh, uh, one of the kids, he's, uh, he's probably 13, 14, 15 years old. We, we go back and forth on Instagram all the time. He's doing amazing. And, uh, you know, he's, he keeps me up to on his treatments, but I, I love keeping up to date with what they're doing. And the parents, I've become friends with some of them too. So yeah, they're, they're, they're always so inspiring and amazing to me. And it really does put things into perspective. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then as a business, you know, and then as a business, this is what I think is cool when you have like a mission like that, then your whole mindset of like your business shifts because you don't feel like greedy when you're making money. You're like, listen, we're supporting real people. We're using our money to like do good things. And so I can ask for lots of money because that's the thing is like people kind of hit that price wall. Right. And they're like, man, I don't want to ask for that. But having a mission like support, like you, you know, you help support the Ronald McDonald house. Like that makes asking for that a little bit easier, I would think. Right. 
Yeah. Well, the, the more you make, the more you can give. And that's stuff that yeah. I, I want to do more of a job. And I felt really like we spent a few years really, I was on their, their board in Boston and I, because of my travels, it's been too tough to, like, I haven't been able to be involved with them lately, uh, but I love supporting them. And, and, you know, even when I was in Hawaii, I spent time with a company called Access Surf, um, where they help disabled people get on a surfboard and surf. It's so amazing. And you know, Special Olympics out there, like that, that's just things to put things into perspective. But I wish I, I wish I did and could uh, do more of that type of stuff because it's so energizing uh, for me. But yeah, I, I, on your note, one of the small businesses I was talking to this about two weeks ago during class, she's an older woman, probably in her 60s, and she has a, a health center uh, for older adults to help them with like different health challenges that people in their 60s or 70s and older would have. And she has this group that meets every week and she'll get like 50 people to show up to these events, but she doesn't charge a dollar for it. She makes it completely free. And she's like, Adam, how do I charge for this without charging too much? Um, because I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this stuff for free. And I said to her, I said, you're a very selfless woman. Like I can just tell you have like such a selfless persona to you, but what you're doing right now is actually incredibly selfish because you're not charging the most self self-listing you could do is to charge them because number one, they're going to want to give you money, but more importantly than that, when they do give you the money, you're going to have the energy and the resources to do this more and more and more and help more and more and more people out. So anytime yeah, we're worried yeah, about yeah. asking for more money, we have to realize if we had more money, money, is just a magnifier. It's going to help us uh, accomplish more of those, you know, the, the more, more of the goodness type of things that we want to accomplish. Yeah. I like that. You said, uh, I'm gonna write that down. Money is a magnifier. Um, because it's something that I, I mean, I know, right. Um, is It's something that I know and that we talk about it, but I like how you put it. Like, that's pretty simple, but yeah, I do. I do think that as you charge people, like I was talking to, I had the, I had a really special opportunity to go to like a youth, um, st- like a youth shark tank. Like there's a local company here who does like, they, they sign kids up. And they take them through the whole entrepreneurial process. So like they find an idea, they figure out how to do it, and then they build it. And then they have time to like, like sell and like find their product market fit and stuff. And then at the end, they have like a little shark tank thing. And I was able to be one of like the guest judges, like, you know, I'm I'm not special, but it was a buddy of mine. He was like, the guest dropped out and I got to do it. And there was a girl here who ran a nonprofit. And like my background is in accounting and finance and nonprofits are probably one of the hardest to do like mm-hmm. books for. And like, cause there's so many regulations and things, but she had a nonprofit. It was really special. She would take donation, donate addresses and she would go into like um, less fortunate high schools or, or like, you know, those, just those kind of high schools where a lot of kids were low income. And they couldn't afford prom dresses. And she would take these prom dresses that were donated. She would clean them up, make them look nice. And then she would like sell them for like nothing. Like, so a girl, a girl could go get her prom dress for like Mm -hmm. 20 bucks and have the best night of her life. And then they could give like, then they could just donate, donate it back. Like basically rented a, but anyway, it was really cool because I got to talk to her afterwards. Um, I gave her my little prize, which was like a little investment in her company. And she was like, like she had a second job and she was working on this a lot. And she's like, I just don't know how to like, you know, how to like make this work and make this scalable. I'm like, well, how much are you keeping? She's like, I'm not keeping anything. We donate hundred percent of the revenue. And I'm like, okay, you can't do that. And she goes, but I feel bad. And I go, I understand. But like the CEO of red cross doesn't have a second job. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I go, exactly. you see what I'm saying? <laughs> like <laughs> they don't, they, they have to get paid because if you want to keep helping girls like this, which I think you should, you need to make it sustainable. Like, and doing it for free is, doesn't work. Like, unless you're Bill Gates doing it for free, it won't work. <laughs> exactly. But Bill Gates didn't, the reason why Bill Gates has the money that Bill Gates has is because yeah, he didn't because do it for free to start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's cool. Like when you look at it in, the, in that light, money doesn't, isn't selfish anymore. Money's like a way for you to help people. But it was really cool. Her eyes kind of opened. She's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And her mm-hmm. family came up to me afterwards. And they were like, we've been telling her that forever, but I don't know what you said. And I was just like, well, you just got to point out the obvious to people. Like if you want, like, yeah, the biggest philanthropist, you know, that, and we love, um, yeah, they, they make money off of that and, and, and they donate 
for usually because they donate to a cause they love and they get to write it off on their taxes for the most part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was Jim Rohn that said it. He said the, the best way to help people is to make a million dollars. You know, the more money that you make, basically, <laughs> if you have a million dollars versus you have $5 in your bank account, you know, maybe you can help one or two people with $5, but imagine if you had a million dollars or $10 million or hundred, whatever that number is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The more that you make, the more, you know, the more that, that people want to work with you with whatever that is, like the more you're able to make a, a real impact on the world. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, <clears throat> so for you, uh, as, you know, as you're traveling a lot and as you've got this business that you're working on, you got a lot of things going on. What do you do as a, as a business owner to stay on top of your game? The toughest piece when you travel, especially when you're traveling to very different parts of the world with different time zones, is how quickly can I adjust myself to make sure that I'm ready to go? And I, I, it's like kind of like a downtime. Like when you travel somewhere, it's like, are you out for two days before you get like readjusted? Is it a day? Is it six hours? Like how quickly can I get readjusted? So that's always a big thing for me is how quickly can I get readjusted to the time zone? But depending on which time zone I'm in, my schedule will shift. Like mm -hmm. in a bit, I'm going to go to the Middle East. I'll be in Cyprus for a few months. And the time zone is seven hours or eight hours ahead of East Coast time. So my days are probably going to start later and they're going to go later. Versus when I'm in Hawaii, it's six hours behind the East Coast. So I'm starting <laughs> earlier and ending earlier. Um, but it's always just setting that new schedule and getting myself acclimated to wherever I am as quickly as possible. Because when I go to these different spots, I want to make sure that I'm producing as, as 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 best I can. But I'm also enjoying these new places. I'm not going I'm not going to Cyprus so I can sit in my you know house all day for 14 hours and not go out and explore. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, taking care of yourself physically is like a really important piece of it. Um, hey, by the way, I was going to ask you this, and we've just gone on a bunch of tangents, but real quick, as a side side conversation. Um, your email starts with Aloha. Is yes. there any significance to that? Well, when I sold my company in 2019 or when I was selling it, I moved out to, uh, to Hawaii. And that's when I created that email. So I figured I'd make it, I thought it was, you know, you see a lot of like, hello at whatever domain. Oh and so yeah. For me, I figured instead of hello, I make it a little bit unique. So I made it Aloha at, and then my name. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. Because I saw that and I was like, I wonder if this one, um, Cause I'm from like, well, okay. I'm not from Hawaii, but my, but my mom's side of the family is all Hawaiian. Like, Oh, cool. Which, straight. uh, which Island? Kauai. Very cool. I've yeah. never been to Kauai, but that's, that's like the next big Island that I want to go to. Yeah. Well, it's not very big. So if you run into a crazy Polynesian lady in her fifties, probably my mom, that's cool. Or related to my mom. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's uh, it's like, I feel like in the, uh, yeah, we're related. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, I feel like the islands, it's like everyone goes to Oahu and then obviously big Island, which is an actual, the actual big Island on Hawaii, yeah. but then it's like Maui and Kauai, but Kauai I heard is like the, what Maui used to be before all the tourists came there. <laughs> yeah. Kauai uh, is yeah. Like I, I didn't understand like my grandpa. Uh, he, so he was a general contractor, but um. Yeah, but loved like old country music and like just like looked like a country farming guy. Like, and I'm like, that doesn't look Hawaiian to me. And then you go to Kauai and then you realize why that is. And because they yeah. all look like, like it's farming. Like it's like, oh, yeah, you know, um, and it's like pretty indigenous part of the land as well. Like a lot of indigenous people still live there. Um, like I said, I've never been there, but <clears throat> it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That you should go. I should go. But. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. That's cool though. Okay. So I, I love that uh, we're here now and you've gotten to this point um, in your journey. So um, as far as like, so yeah, keeping yourself physically fit, but as far as like what you do to stay on top of like your business game, like how do you sharpen your sword with, with your business skills? Like, how do you do that? Like how am I making sure that I'm improving every day and making yeah, sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So part of it for me is is getting myself just acclimating the different spots that I can even mentally and physically be there. So that, that of course is number one. Uh, number two, I'm always reading. I'm always talking to people in the space. Um, my business partner and I, we're always having deep conversations. He's in the middle of writing a book right now. So we're constantly cool. sharing our learnings with each other. Uh, what's working, what's not working. Uh, 
because I do so much coaching for startups and small businesses, I need to stay up to date with what's going on in the tech world, in the small business world, tools that can that can uh, be helpful. Um, I have great mentors and advisors that are, are always gracious with their time for me. So th those are the different types of things that I do, as well as making sure with my team, I'm always improving the systems to make sure that they're able to do what they need to do as efficiently as possible. That's cool. How did you get into educating and coaching small businesses? It was something that I just kind of always naturally did. But when I was selling the company is when I, my time freed up a little more to do that. But it was probably about two years ago. And now I, I randomly met with this guy. It was actually in upstate New York. And he was telling me about this company called Eureka, which is an amazing platform to help uh, small businesses and entrepreneurs. And he was like, you should really talk to them. I think they would love to meet you. And I think you'd love to meet them. And they connected us and I've been coaching entrepreneurs. Now it's probably been at least a hundred entrepreneurs through that, that company for the past probably 18 months, almost two years now. Oh, that's really cool. Holy cow. Yeah. That's something. Cause I, I mean, like that's another thing that I'm also really passionate about because I, I'm in the same boat and, and it's an industry. A lot of people are passionate about like small businesses and like scaling small businesses. That's because that's probably the hardest part. It's like you get a small business owner and now what do you do? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you get this business and now what? Um, and I love, I love, I also love helping people with that. So what are some of the things that you teach to small businesses that help improve their situation? So the great thing about that company, Eureka, is they have basically a whole curriculum that I, I just educate on. And of course I share my experiences and I, I, I share that, but it's everything from strategy. So we focus on them figuring out like, what is the core of their business? What's the problem that they solve? Who is their ideal customer? To things like website mechanics and website content and uh, funnels and how to how to get more people on the top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, uh, some basic sales stuff. Then you go into finance, finance, like one-on-one -on -one type stuff, like what's your CAC, uh -huh. cost of acquiring a customer, lifetime value of a customer, how to figure out your ROI, your efficiency, how to create a pitch deck, what types of ways you can raise money. So it's a 14 classes that we teach that are all geared around strategy, customer acquisition, and then finance. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. A lot of people don't, yeah, a lot of people don't miss the finance piece, man. And it's uh, yeah, probably you know one it. of the most important ones. Yeah, probably more. Yeah, I, because I always, when I talk to small businesses too, uh, one of the, the statistics that I like to share with people <clears throat> um, is that most companies who don't, that don't make it are actually extremely profitable. They just don't have the cash flow. And they're like, well, mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, that's why we're going to start with finance first, but <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Cause like you have these great margins, but you know, your accounts payables off your time, your life cycles too much, right? You don't like you're burning cash quicker, even though your profitability margins are great. It's so true. It's uh when my business partner and I, one thing that we both say we were guilty of it, we write, we didn't raise a lot of money with my startup, but we, we raised some money and, uh, as we decided to sell the company, we really took a look at everything that was going on in our company, including like every dollar that was coming in and every dollar that was going out. And we found there was so much waste that, that was leaving our, our bank every month that was just slow, yeah. just a slow bleed. So as we were selling the company, we started implementing a finance Fridays. And actually when we were selling, we used oh, to do cool. it almost every day. <laughs> but yeah, we started doing something called Finance Fridays where we go through all these key pillars of our financials and we do it to this day. Like I, a couple of hours ago, my business partner and I went through everything You and it just every Friday, you know, what are our receivables? What are our payables? What are our efficiencies? What are, you know, our, our, our ROI in each customer? Like every yeah. little detail, because it is so important. If we're not paying attention to it, then our financials are going to run us and not in the way that we want them to. Yeah, I read a book called... Um... Oh man, now I can't remember it. But anyway, it's this idea of like um, paying, like paying yourself first. And dude, I wish I could remember that book. But it's a great little finance book for small businesses because it goes over those principles, like you know, pay yourself first and then figure out like where you need to cut. Because yeah, we do, we do think we need a lot of stuff, and most of the time we don't. <laughs> most of the time, those those pieces of software are nice, but like. Right now, they're not necessary. And that's, that's yeah. what it is. Today, yeah, today, as we were going through our, our Finance Fridays, we we're in our bank account. And I was like, it's amazing how few tools we actually leverage. Like everything in our yeah. bank account, like the stuff that comes out, it's all from the same vendors that we use to manage all of our customers. Where in the past, it'd be like all these random little things that it's like, we're not even using this. Why are we paying for this? So yeah, it's just keeping an eye on it. Yeah, 
I love that. I love that. Um, because finances and I know, and people, but I do, I do agree that finance is probably one of those classes that they should teach in high school. Um, but I also remember when I was in high school and if somebody would have tried to teach me taxes, I probably would not have shown up to that class. <laughs> no, 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 for sure. For sure. <laughs> I think you gotta just like, you know, I, well, and it's tough. Like you do t- got to teach kids that I think to re- resolve like some absolution of the <laughs> teachers, like, Hey, I tried <laughs> right, 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 at this right. point. I tried. <clears throat> That's really cool. So now let me ask you this. When, when you teach those courses to small businesses, what, what are some common like points of pushback that you get? Like, what do people try to fight you on the most? I'm curious about that. I mean, may, probably not a lot because I'm sure they're paying quite a bit to be in the course, but I've seen people, they pay for, they pay a lot of money and mm. then they like think they can do it. And I'm like, I don't know why you spent this money then, bro. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's, it's pretty rare that there's pushback in that, but I would say the piece that people are usually most interested in having deeper conversations about is around sales. How do okay. I get new customers? How do I generate more demand? Because a lot of them as small businesses, they have a great product. Like what they're, what they do, whether again, it's a bakery, an accounting firm, uh, a property management firm, whatever that might be like, they're so good at that. So that's, that's really what makes them special, but they're not great at marketing or sales, or maybe they have a bad perception of sales and what sales mean. Mm-hmm. So that's, I wouldn't say there's, there's, rarely pushback. Um, but I would say that's a lot of what they want to talk about um, is around yeah. how to get new customers. How do we, how do I generate more demand? And then the finance piece too is important just because if you don't ever learn it, it's, it's a really difficult thing to get a hold of. And that's why I think people like you were so important. Yeah. I, I know. I appreciate that because I love helping finance, but I, I have the sales mastermind groups where I teach mm-hmm. people like how to do this kind of stuff. And yes, I totally get that. I mean, I have people all the time coming up to me and they're like, I don't want to learn sales because it's the worst profession in the world. And I'm like, I understand that, but you have that really nice car. Someone sold it to you. (laughs) Like you bought it on Craigslist or you bought it from a new dealer, you used car dealer, like you got sold. Right. (laughs) But, but like, yeah, dude, people fight a ton. Like, I'm like, this should not be this hard to talk about selling and, and like, and like, yeah. And then digital selling which I would equate to like the sales funnels, you know, mm-hmm. your squeeze page and your lead magnets and all that good stuff. Like, yeah, they're like, Oh, I don't want to do that. People are just going to see the value. And I'm like, no, <laughs> or like people are just going to come to me and ask me to buy it. Probably not. <laughs> Have you ever done that? No. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> Have you ever walked up to a company with a blank checkbook? Okay. So we need yeah. to learn selling. <laughs> It's true. And we don't realize how, to your point, every single day, we're all in so many funnels. We're all, you know, we're, we're all in the hundreds, if not thousands of funnels of things we're considering buying, or we just found out about or whatever, Um, (laughs) you know, so sales is a part of everyday life. And it's not about like the slick back hair, sleazy person sales about, Hey, you have a problem or you have a want or need, and I have a solution for you. And how can I present that solution in a way that it makes it easy for you to buy if it is something that you're looking for? Yes. And that's what I try to tell people. I'm like, selling isn't about making people wanting, making people buy something they don't want. It's removing the friction so that they can buy it as easy as possible. I'm like, that's what this is. I'm like, do you realize, like I I talked to some people, I'm like, do you realize how hard it is to buy your product? Like I go to your website, there's no information, right? Or maybe there's pricing because you believe in this, this like skewed idea of transparency where you only put a price up there. And I'm like, now people are like struggling and you can't help them and they got to call you and they got to set an appointment with you. I'm like, dude, that's way like so hard. Good Mm -hmm. selling is making it easy for people to buy from you. Like making it easy to make a decision. Like you said, I love that, dude. It's a great point. Um, And I got, I got not an argument, but like I saw this guy on Facebook post like, Somebody was talking about cold emailing, like cold outreach, right? And he's like, I would never, he's like, I, I never support companies who do cold email outreach. And I'm like, uh, then you don't buy anything? Yeah. <laughs> like they Every all company do. does it. <laughs> you have, like, you have to, you have to. Like at some point in your business, when you start your business, and I'm sure this is what the conversation you have with people. Like you, there's, you can only rely on inbound so much before you have to get off your ass, to interrupt someone's day, and educate them on your product. 
Yeah. And, and think about it. like for us, there's problems that we want solutions to right now, both of us, everybody listening to this. Imagine if that, if that just got presented to us, we would be happier. Like yeah. the, for me, it's, if you really believe in your offering, then you should want people to find out about it. And you're not bugging them. If they, if you are bugging them, they'll say, stop reaching out. And you stop reaching out in whatever medium that is. Like if they're like for that gentleman on Facebook, yeah, he probably just doesn't, he doesn't want to do it for himself because he probably doesn't really believe in what he's offering because he thinks he's right. annoying people or bugging people, which means, yeah, you probably should figure out something else to do because your product or service isn't adding value to people. Yeah. Yeah. And then I looked at his website and he worked for like, I think it was like, Adobe or something like that. I'm like, you know, they have a whole sales team, right? That right. they, you know, they have outbound quotas that they have oh, yeah. to hit. I'm like, they're calling, they're emailing, they're texting, they're I go, doing everything. I go, I go, all right, this guy. I'm like, you just don't know enough, which is fine. Yeah. Like, that's fine. But that's cool, man. All right. So uh, I, I've loved our conversation so far. We're going to jump into the lightning round. But before we do that, I'd love for you to uh, promote anything you want to promote. If you're lead gen business, how do people get in touch with you? Anything like that? Yeah, if anyone wants to find out more about what we do from a, a lead generation standpoint, you can check out our website, eocworks.com. My email is adam at eocworks.com. In terms of social media, I'm most active on Instagram, which is just at Adam I. Rosen. And then LinkedIn, same thing, at or backslash in backslash Adam I. Rosen. Cool, right on. I love that. All right, so let's do the lightning round. It'll be quick. And uh, all right, I'm going to get them ready. It'll be let's quick. It. and. Uh, Let's let's go over it because uh, these this is I've done it once before and it's actually really fun. So let's go. What book do you recommend most to budding entrepreneurs? If you're an entrepreneur from the start, you got to build your company to sell it. I didn't do a good enough job of that to the start. Every entrepreneur needs to read Built with a T to sell. Amazing book. It'll show you how to create the processes and systems to sell any type of business. Dope. What's the best purchase an entrepreneur could make when starting their business? for under a hundred dollars? I, I run everything. My email business almost completely run off of Google drive and it's much less than a hundred dollars. So I love the G suite. You could, you could do anything in G suite. Oh, that's dope. That's a good one, man. Because you totally absolutely can. What's the best piece of advice you've received when starting your business? It takes a lifetime to build your reputation and just a moment to lose it. What's the worst? Uh, red is the new black. Scale before you're ready. <laughs> oh, you red is the new black. That's so funny because it's so Yeah, you true. probably, oh God. In the tech world, that's what they all yeah. have. I remember the serial entrepreneur, he's like, red is the new black. And who cares about losing money? You just want to scale, scale, scale. I'm like, yeah. I guess so. I don't really understand it. And then I was like, yeah, that's the worst thing. And you, and you see these VCs shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars to companies who are always in the red. It, that's yeah. crazy. That's a good point. I like that. Okay. Uh, what should be the focus? What, if they're starting a new business, what should be their, their sole focus on going forward with their new business or their new brand? Get one customer and then let that customer pull you. So get one customer, see if they'll renew. And then if they do get a second customer, see if they'll renew, but go slow, go slow so that you can run fast in the future, but just get that one, one customer. And stop just doing market research. Get the customer. See if people <laughs> pay you for it. Just see if yes. people pay you for it. Yes. And then go from there. That's great. Exactly. Do you, uh, do you have a favorite quote uh, that you live your life by? Perseverance and spirit have done wonders in all ages. It's from George Washington back in 1776. I used to have it written on my, uh, on my board behind me. That's sick. Okay, cool. Well, that's the questions. Thanks for participating in the lightning round, Adam. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, grateful that you'll be here. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Dalton. That was a ton of fun. And I look forward to staying in touch with you, man.